Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Brian Barney. He's the host of Eastman's Elevated podcast and the co-host of Life of a Bowhunter podcast. Thanks for being on here, man. Oh, thanks for having me. So I like to start off with a question about school because I'm a school teacher in high school. So uh, if your high school English teacher were to be able to see how you turned out, would they say, yeah, that makes that makes sense. He'd, he'd grow up to be a podcaster or he'd grow up to be uh, working for an outdoor uh Outdoor magazine, be a archery hunter. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know that they would. Uh, <laughs> I think um, you know, school wasn't my strong suit, really. Like, I I learn really well in the subjects that I'm I'm interested in, and so uh, high school, my main subjects were girls and wrestling, and um, <laughs> and, and so I I didn't push myself like I should have in in school, and 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 I regretted a bit, but it's one of those things like once I started getting interested in being a writer, like I started then I started paying attention to to English and grammar and spelling and becoming, you know, being able to articulate my thoughts down on paper. So that's where my self-improvement really came from. And so, you know, I just did enough to get by in school, but it definitely wasn't built for me. And I didn't go on to college. Uh, you know, I went into construction and then construction was something I was interested in. So, I think if you ask my wrestling coaches that were teachers, they would not be surprised, but I think my other teachers might be. Right. Yeah, it seems like there's a whole lot of athletes who are hunters, and part of it is maybe the you have a whole bunch of hours and time and energy and discipline spent on basketball or wrestling or whatever, and then once you graduate from that, you still want that sort of something else, right? There's more than just my, my school life. There's more than just my work life. There has to be something else to really round myself out. There's got to be something else that fills in those gaps and hunting becomes that in a way that like high school sports never did. You know, I look back at how, how big of a basketball fan I was and how much I played and how important it was to me. But you know, hunting has, I mean, it's not even close how much more important hunting is uh, than, than basketball and sports ever were. Yeah, well, I think um, I think we're wired that way. I think we're wired to, uh, you know, us guys, uh, we need a place for our passion, something that um, uh, we can put our energy and effort into and see results, something that's uh, physical and also mental. And so, yeah, that was kind of it for me as I had wrestling that I worked really hard at and I had hunted you know, while I was in wrestling with family and things, but, um, it was after wrestling that I just felt a bit lost and like needed something, you know, I needed something to put my energy and effort into. And, and for me, it has to be something that I'm all in or that I'm interested in and hunting definitely fit that bill. And it was like the harder I worked at it, the more I achieved like all these, these great lessons that I learned from wrestling, uh, you know, I was able to apply to my hunting and, and then see success from it. So yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah, it's such a such a nice thing to have outside of work because then it doesn't really feel like you don't feel burnt out. You feel like you. I think as as a teacher, having summers off to play is one of the most important things to prevent burnout. You know, if I was working during the summer doing something else, trying to make more money, I wouldn't have the time to just kind of hang out and and hike and and camp and uh, and look for animals and everything like that. So it's just so important to have something else going on in in your life, something that has. Uh, substance to it um so as far as creative uh creatively um do you remember the first article that you wrote that you submitted somewhere and how'd that go 
Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I remember the first article I wrote. I, you know, it it takes a while to like build your skill set to become proficient at um, uh, at bow hunting or whatever the case is. And so, you know, I'd moved to Montana from the Pacific Northwest at 19 to kind of chase outdoor opportunities. And um, man, I just started uh, diving in head over heels for anything that they'd let me hunt in Montana. Uh, deer, elk, bear, shed hunting, uh, you know, whatever it was, it was just experience. And, and then as I started to gain experience, I, I like had this, this yearning to want to travel and, um, hunt different places and hunt some more remote places. And so, uh, I started traveling and, um, started honing my craft and, and being proficient at it. And, um, yeah, so the first article that I sent in was an article to, um, Eastman's that I now work for. And, um, yeah, it was a, a giant mule deer that I had killed in Nevada, uh, on a big solo backpacking trip. Um, so I, I'd done 10, 11, 12 days, something like that in the Nevada backcountry and killed a giant buck by myself back in there. And so uh, that was kind of the start of my writing career and um, kind of went from there. Hmm. I remember the first time I sent to uh, Field and Stream, because that was always kind of the dream. I, I used to read uh, Bill Heavey's column in the back and then Outdoor Life was uh, was another big one that I liked to read a lot. And uh so I, I sent in like a, a printed copy because this was like in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, and um, they actually sent back a rejection letter with uh, with uh, uh, Field and Stream and the you know on the, on the letterhead, which is hilarious now because it's you know everything is out electronic now, and it can be hard even. And a lot of times they don't even they don't even take uh, unsolicited material, so it was kind of funny and wild to have this rejection letter actually typed out, and they took the time to do that, which is which is pretty funny. But that's part of it. Um, did you have to go through uh, many rejections or, um, things like that? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I have the same rejection letter from bow hunter and, uh, uh, probably Peterson's bow hunter. And, um, yeah, at, at first, like I say, I didn't apply myself in school like I needed to. And so even though I had all this passion and I'd honed my craft to hunting, I wasn't good at telling the story or putting it down on paper. And so, you know, it took a while uh, of writing, paying attention to it, uh, really being able to articulate my thoughts on paper, and then, and then companies started to publish me. But yeah, I got quite a few rejections for sure. Companies that didn't want to publish what I had, and and also, you know, I didn't really fit into their mold of what they were looking for for articles as well. Uh, you know, I had my. Uh, the, my own way that I went about it or my own way that I wanted to describe the adventure or uh, the thrill of it. And, and so I didn't fit into those, a, a lot of those magazines, but it, it seemed to be a perfect fit for Eastman's, but you know, it didn't start out where they just offer me a job when you're a blue collar guy and you write an article, they send you a care package, maybe some gear. And really, you never get a chance to deal or talk with the editor. Mm. And uh, so I just started going on these adventures all over and started writing about them and also working on my craft of writing. And and from there, I started being published uh, each and every year, multiple issues. And, and finally, after being published quite a few times over quite a few years, I was finally able to write emails to editors and and go, hey, what about a chance for a staff article? And I remember Eastman's gave me a chance and said, okay, kid, you know, what do you got? What What's your idea for a staff article that you want to write for us? And uh, instantly I got on the computer and I, I um, 
I really analyze and 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 think about my hunting. Um, you know, I can I can really I, I have uh, like an intelligent approach that I take to it, and I overthink everything. So he asked me for an idea for a staff article, and I typed him back. I think that afternoon about thirty ideas for staff articles. So <laughs> they were uh, instantly overwhelmed, and they gave me a chance for a staff article, and it went well. And um, yeah, I've been writing for those guys ever since. Nice. When was that? Oh, that was like 2008, I'd say. Okay. So you're coming on a pretty extensive career uh, with them. Now with the podcasting too, how do you keep things fresh without being, I mean, everything is is still pretty new when you go out there hunting. It's a mule deer hunt, but it's not the same mule deer hunt down here with uh, in Southeast Alaska with blacktail deer. It's still blacktail deer, but it's not always the same. It's never repetitive. Um, so how do you keep content fresh and how do you keep your podcast fresh? Um, being a student of the game, living the lifestyle that I'm talking about, uh, really applying myself, always trying to improve, always trying to get better. And there's no limit to, to where I can go and what I can achieve and no limit to what my listeners can achieve. And so, you know, I'm constantly learning and evolving and I'm, I'm spending, uh, I'm still spending just as much or more time in the field. And so there's always learning happening. There's always improvement happening. And so I really try to share the the information that helps make me successful. That's really going to help other guys. And so I don't hold any secrets back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it's a matter of getting uh, good, consistent hunters on there and then having these in-depth conversations and I'm growing as a person as well. And so you know, the podcast is always changing and always fresh because it's always new information uh, of further in depth and being able to explore these different topics. And, you know, being successful here in the States, it, it isn't about getting lucky or drawing some tag. It's really working on your different skill sets, uh, really being disciplined and, and self-improvement and being able to self-analyze and uh, be able to look at um, my failures and be able to uh, it, it, you know, be able to dissect them and figure out what went wrong and how, how I can improve from, uh, improve from it. And so, um, yeah, I think that's what keeps it fresh. And I think, think that's what keeps people tuning in each and every week. And, and also, you know, just like working on my craft of bow hunting and working on my craft of, of writing. I've also been working on my craft of podcasting where I've done, you know, 400 of my own episodes on Eastman's Elevated and then uh, been a guest on different podcasts just like today. And, and so it's a bit of flexing that muscle and being able to improve the skill set of being able to podcast and be able to articulate the excitement, the adventure, be able to articulate uh, in-depth stocks and getting close and and be able to explain what it means to me and and why uh, I'm so passionate about this bow hunting. So, you know, I think it's a combination of those things, but really I think it's like being a student of the game and really loving what I do. Mm-hmm. You've been archery hunting all over the world. Um, has there been something that you have taken uh, as far as fundamentals go that, um, that you need to relearn this lesson or this lesson that keeps popping up is like, man, it, cause you talk about being a student of the game. So what's, what's been the, the skill that you have to reinforce over and over and over again so you can be successful in all these different hunts? Yeah. I mean, it's a, a combination of skills really. And, um, you know, I, I'm a, a slow learner. And so a lot of times I have to make these mistakes a couple times, but when you make a mistake in the field, like, uh, 
you know, I put all this work and effort into getting my body in shape and making sure my bow's shooting right and all this effort into map research and diving into this unit. I have money invested, time invested. Uh, you know, I put everything into it. So when I make a mistake out in the field, it cuts deep and it hurts. Uh, so I'm able to learn that lesson. And then um, I- I'm able to uh, apply it to to my instincts, you know, which are going to guide my next moves. And so a lot of times I'm not learning these lessons on the first time. They are similar lessons. And I find that these same lessons that I learn in the field like I can apply to any facet of my life and whether that's business or whether that's family, like I can apply that to life. So there's always uh, reoccurring uh, lessons that I learn. But, you know, I think the big ones are like a, a mental toughness and, and um, you know, it's it's something that I obtain and something that I lean on and something that I use, but it's a muscle that I have to flex. And so uh, I'm just continually staying driven and um, uh, trying to push hard on these hunts and give my full effort, but it's not easy. Like human nature is to be lazy or to take the easy way or to make an excuse. So, you know, I'm constantly having to fight against the current to make sure that um, I'm doing what it takes to, um, uh, to be successful out there. Mm-hmm. Is there something that particularly sticks out in your mind about a lesson or a mistake that you made while you were on one of these hunts? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, tons of lessons. <laughs> I've like uh, <laughs> made every mistake in the book. Uh, you know, I've um, uh, I've missed shots. I've failed stocks. I've moved too quickly. Uh, you know, like you name it, I've made that mistake probably <laughs> over and over again. Like failure is the building blocks to success. And so, uh, yeah, I failed about every way possible. I mean, recently things that I've done, I'm just coming back from Hawaii hunting mouflon sheep, hunting axis deer. You know, I hunted really well. I executed really good shots there and uh, able to come away with some good critters. But um, 
those mouflon sheep, their eyesight is so dialed, like one of the the spookiest critters that I've ever hunted. And, you know, so it reminds me to really slow down and not take any shortcuts uh, and make sure that I that I as I move through this open country, I'm not getting seen. And so it's just like keeping this level of focus and, and same thing, hunting axis deer in the thick. It's like the moment that you're not glassing every few steps, the moment that you're not still hunting through really quietly the moment that you lose this focus you jump an axis deer and you could have been you know i could have been hunting for two hours still hunting through and i haven't seen a deer and all of a sudden i've lost that little bit of focus and i bust a deer out and so yeah i'm like learning these lessons all the time or having to to hone in these skills all the time so those would be like a couple things on this latest hunt that i just had to remind myself of uh, but overall, I hunted really well and, and had a great trip. Yeah, it's such a tough thing because you can't really train for that. You can put a lot of shots down range, but ultimately when you're out there in the woods, like that, going slow, paying attention, uh, not rushing, like you can't really, you can't practice that. You have to only practice that when you're in the moment and that can be difficult because you're stressed out, you didn't have enough food for breakfast or, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're irritated. You've been looking on Facebook and or Instagram and so many people have shot big bucks and you haven't yet. And you're just getting frustrated and that uh, kind of weighs on you. What is your, in the weeks leading up to the season starting, what, uh, what is your program for archery shooting? Are you, uh, shooting like one every half hour or like what, what's your, what's your program? What's your routine? Yeah. So, um, as I'm leading into season, I've already spent the time to really get a good tune in my bow, really dial in my sight tapes. I'm making sure that everything's dialed with my bow. But now as I get to this part of the season, uh, now it's really intentional practice. And so, uh, I shoot arrows. Like I, I shoot well when I shoot all the time or every day. And so every day I just make time to shoot my bow and I don't need to shoot 50 or hundred arrows per day. Uh, but I'll shoot a couple sets and a couple groups. And, um, really this time of year, I'm shooting 3d targets. I'm shooting uneven terrain. I'm shooting sprints back and forth to the target. I'm putting a lot of weight on my first shot. I'm shooting kneeling shots. Like I'm really pushing the level of difficulty to help match what I'm going to feel in the, in the field, because, uh, I know that my bow's dialed in. So now it's just getting my skills dialed in. And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like shooting per day, shooting 3d, shooting uneven footing, shooting from my knees, uh, and, and really being intentional with my practice on that first arrow to make sure that one hits its mark. About a month before my caribou hunt, uh, last year. Um, I'd just been shooting to different distances and shooting really well. And then a friend said that, yeah, they were, their regimen was to draw standing, kneel, stand back up and then shoot. And I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm not just going to be able to stand uh, out there at 60 yards and be able to shoot this caribou. There's going to be some sort of difference or some sort of complication. So sprinkling in those different hypotheticals is, is really, really important. Do you ever shoot? like around some brush with, uh, with, with small little openings where you have to gauge, um, limb height and whatnot and whether or not stuff's going to get in there or, or move laterally side to side, do some of those shots too. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I don't like to move a lot at full draw. Like my theories on it, animals, uh, ungulates really pick up movement. And so if I'm going to have to come around a piece of brush, 
I'm going to move slow as the hands of the clock to get around the brush before I draw my bow. I don't like to move much once I've drawn, but yeah, hundred percent. Like, um, I shoot a lot of these 3d courses. So we do the Western hunting summits with Ryan Lampers. He puts on a great summit there and sets up a really good 3d course. Uh, so I run through multiple times with these guys, shoot 3d courses, shoot them from scores, uh, shoot tack events, things of that nature that are really in the mountains, shooting around limbs, shooting in windows, learning the trajectory of my arrow and how it'll, it'll clear. Uh, so that's a huge part of my summer practice to get ready for these hunts. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you shot the same bow for the last couple seasons? Are you once every, every year, get a new one? What, uh, what's your, what's your bow like? Yeah. Yeah. So I shoot a new one every year. We've got uh, Matthews on board uh, with the podcast and um, also with the TV show. So yeah, uh, get, get a new bow every year and set it up and um, then I'll shoot that new bow. And I'd say it's probably a little bit more difficult at first to make these changes with these bows. Like you really build a relationship and build a trust with these bows. And so you know, and, and each and every year, these bows improve maybe 1% at best. And so, you know, as good as I shoot a bow, I don't shoot good enough to hardly tell the difference. You know, it like takes three to five years. So I always tell guys, you know, shoot their bows for three to five years. And, you know, back when I was buying my own bows, I would use them for three to five years. And then I would upgrade and see that three to five percent improvement or something that I could really notice in my shooting. But yeah, I'm setting up a new bow each and every year. And so I have a process, the way I set it up, the time I spend with it, I build that relationship through the summer, through the spring. And now like this year's bow I got last November, I uh, didn't use it for my late season hunts as I hadn't spent enough time with it. But, you know, already this year I've taken it to Australia and harvested animals and taken it to Hawaii and harvested animals. I've shot multiple 3D courses like uh, this bow at this point is like a part of me and shooting really well. So, yeah, I have no doubts that it's going to shoot for me for the rest of the season mm -hmm. as well. Is there any bow in the last couple of years that you thought, man, that one was, uh, it was a little bit more special or it was a little bit better, even though they are improving in those small increments. Is there one, maybe you're, you're, oh man, that 2017 bow is just that, 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 that one's on the wall. That one's, uh, I like that one a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I do build special relationships with these bows, and there are some that just hit center and are super forgiving. Now, the good thing is, is Matthew's been using this same platform for the last five seasons. So uh, this year's bow is actually the same as last year's specs. In fact, you can just switch the strings on them, but it's got the same cams, the same riser, and they just make small improvements. So really each Matthew feels like the other one. Um, I do have some bows that just shoot a touch better than other ones. Like, uh, uh, wasn't last year, but two years ago, you know, and I think a lot of it is just the tune I have in it and, um, uh, shoots really well. Uh, but it seems like every year I like the new bow more than I like the last one. So this bow that I'm shooting now is my favorite bow of all times that I've ever shot. It's, uh, um, holding tune really well, super accurate. Like, uh, man, it's, um, the quietest bow I've ever shot. Like I've definitely had trouble with, uh, uh, jumpy animals, like, um, jumping the string. And so like axis are a perfect example, like one and two or one and three will jump the string. Same thing with mule deer, probably one and three or one and four will jump the string antelope are horrible. Like, uh, maybe one and two will jump the string, but I do notice uh, with this new bow, it's so quiet that I haven't had any animals jump that string. And so uh, I think that 
the quiet nature of that bow is going to help out or give me an advantage. Uh, and then also it's just really forgiving and accurate. And so, um, yeah, I have had good bows that I really get along with good, but uh, nothing shoots better than this new bow I have now. The bow I have, I've had it for about five years, and it's interesting how because you make these little improvements, it is a new model. So you can't like go back and look at the you know five years ago version of this one because it got the name changed, and so it's hard to tell. Wait, which which one am I like? If this one is like the child of this one, well, which one is the? What's the family line here? It's a really confusing thing when you're just uh, first getting start out. This is my second bow overall, and I really like, I like it, um, and I'm not sure what the difference would be if I were to upgrade or get something better or spend more money. I kind of went with uh, the the. The less expensive ones are probably the cheaper ones, the middle of the road, and then there's the upper middle, and then there's the elite elite, which I probably wouldn't even know the difference. So I went with one of those middle tier, or upper middle tier bows. Um, what are some things to look for? If you have your first bow, you've shot it, you've, you liked it, you're about three to five years in, what would you look for that would... Um, help you improve or or if you're going to shop for another bow what's something that you're looking for yeah for me um uh you know and it is all about the shooter and not the bow it's like i think i could pick up any bow and shoot it well and go kill animals with it just with my uh, knowledge of the bows and then also my shooting ability and so i think it's really working with your bow to get a good feel for it but i'd say if you're shopping for a new bow like uh the number one quality in a in a bow that i'm looking for is forgiveness you know is i i'm i'm not looking for a bunch of performance or something like that to me archery is all about accuracy and if i hit them in the middle they die lungs harder liver and the animal cannot live and so for me it's all about accuracy and putting that arrow in the right place so i'm looking for forgiveness i'm looking for tunability something that's going to tune and hold a tune um I, i'm looking for uh you know definitely like this new bow like i was talking about so quiet you know that uh, a lot of these animals aren't he hearing my bow go off which i think is um uh, a really great attribute of a bow um so you know i'm looking for something that's that's also going to hold up that um you know, some of the, the less expensive bows, or if you really go on the cheap side, like, you know, you can have problems with limbs delamming or, you know, have problems with that bow where it's not shooting accurately. And so, you know, I'm definitely looking for a bow that's going to withstand the abuse that I'm going to put on it, that's forgiving, that's quiet, and uh, something that fits me. It's like everybody is a touch different shooting a bow. And so I think it's good to shoot some different brands. And see what fits your grip, see what feels right. And, and then with the bow, you know, it's, it's really about like getting, uh, these specifications like for you, like, uh, a lot of people like to shoot a longer draw length because they get more energy out of their bow, but you do not shoot a longer draw length. Well, when you're shooting up or downhill or from your knees. So I think it's like really matching up that bow uh uh to your fit and like for me like i'm five seven but i shoot a 26 and a half inch draw length which is most of the time like a woman's bow or a kid's <laughs> bow almost like there's some bows that don't even make them that short but it just fits me and uh fits me really well and then 
I think really spending the time to get a good tune in that bow to make sure that it's a forgiving tune. So it's not just about shooting one bullet hole through paper. It's being able to replicate that and shoot multiple bullet holes through paper. And I will not change my form or my grip to fit a bow. I change the bow to fit my form and grip. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really spend a lot of time with these bows, making sure that I get a good tune, making sure that I've got the right arrows that fit, making sure that it forgiving uh and then those bows seem to behave and do what they're supposed to do when i get in the field mm-hmm. what does your bow break in look like once you get the new bow what's uh what's that system um initial break in on these bows um you know i want to get the strings worn in usually it's about 100 shots the strings are really good nowadays um so so it's just getting a feel for that bow i shoot some indoor rounds but yeah i mean i'm spending probably like uh i'd say you know 100 arrows like i I don't know i'm gonna spend like a few days with this bow getting it broken and making sure the strings are stretched and everywhere uh like like my peeps not going to rotate and things of that nature so i'll spend a couple weeks probably breaking them in um, before I really get down to the nitty gritty of building sight tapes and making sure that that thing's dialed in. But yeah, they're not a ton of break in anymore. It seems like these strings are really good that don't stretch very much. Um, so for me, it just doesn't take long to break them in. Mm-hmm. What about matching arrows to your bow? How important is that? Super important. Yep. It's like they make those tuning charts for arrows that match up with your bow, but they're just not an exact science. So I use a program called Archer's Advantage and Archer's Advantage, you can input all the specifications of your bow and then you can look at the arrow shaft and you can see optimum spine for your arrow shaft. So it's really easy to go too stiff or too weak of a spine. And those arrows, you can get them to shoot or get them to tune, but you're not going to get that forgiving tune that I'm talking about. But when you match up the perfect arrow with your bow, uh, that dynamic spine reacts really well with your bow where you get really forgiving arrow flight. So it's huge for me. I spend a lot of time making sure I have the exact cut on my arrows, the exact right spine, and that I'm right in the middle of that dynamic spine that matches my poundage and matches my bow perfectly. So yeah, I do spend a lot of time dialing that in. Yeah. One of the things that I learned right off the bat was in the same way that finding ammunition to to match your gun or something that your gun likes, your rifle likes, um, that's pretty important. But as far as getting arrows for your bow, that's critical, especially if you shoot, maybe you buy a dozen that are on sale of one brand and then you totally switch up to a different brand or a different something else that could totally impact how you shoot. So it's better to buy, you know, a dozen or two dozen of the same thing. That way, that consistency, that variable is all dialed in and it's not going to be something different. Yeah. hundred percent. What, uh, what kind of arrows do you shoot? Uh, so right now I'm using some arrows from uh, Method Archery. So Method Archery is a, a sponsor on the podcast. Um, they have really good front-end components, uh, really good knocks. Uh, they've got a low-profile fletching. They four-fletch, and so four-fletch will give you more steering uh, with less of a profile. So it's really good for broadhead flight as you want to steer those broadheads. They've got a good uh, helical fletch on those um, uh, fletchings that really get them spinning coming out of the bow. 
yeah, so they've been a, a really good arrow, and, and method archery actually takes your dynamic spine of your bow and inputs all that information to find the exact cut. Uh, so that same program that I'm using, that Archer's Advantage, they have a similar program that they use that really dial in those arrows. So yeah, I've been using them the last couple seasons, and they've been doing well for me. Nice. What would you recommend for um, like a, a one spot where a hunter could go to get all this information? Is there uh, somewhere where they can kind of go through and look at uh, look at all these things? Boy, it's tough. It's such a rabbit hole with archery <laughs> to figure this stuff out. There's so many different platforms. And so, you know, I don't think there is one place to get all this information or to figure out exactly what you need. I think it's... Um, you know, it, it's building a network of guys like that you can trust. Mm. And so, you know, I do all my own work on my bows, but, uh, you know, I have guys that I can call that I trust that uh, are, are really good information. And so, like, I can trust those guys. But when I was first learning, I would just spend time at the bow shop, a bow shop that I trust. And I would talk to that owner. I talk to the to the shop kid as they see so many bows and work on so many bows and and just talk with them and really spend time there to try to to learn and archery is like a black magic it's like when you don't know what's going on when you don't know what's happening with the bow uh, you don't quite know how to fix it or even what your problem is or how to diagnose it. So I think it's just like diving down the rabbit hole of this archery. And, and you know, there's a lot of really good guys out there. Like I love um, uh, John Dudley puts out great information out there. Uh, uh, Levi Morgan puts out great information. There's um, uh, Joel Turner with the Shot IQ is really good about back tension execution and um, being able to get control of your mind during the shot. And so I think you have to kind of cherry pick from these different guys that you trust either in the industry or guys at the bow shop or your own buddies and have these conversations and really learn about the bow and the inner workings of it so that you can make these adjustments to get a fine-tuned uh, shooting weapon. So, yeah, I don't think there's there's like one source. Like it's you have to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I've watched a lot of stuff on YouTube and I have some buddies who are, who are bow hunters, but living on an island in Southeast Alaska, we don't have a bow shop. There's a guy who sells some bows, but he's also a locksmith. So he's a great guy, a guy, great guy. He can do the tuning and everything, but yeah, that, that the bow shop culture is, is something that's missing. And it's, it's unfortunate that not everybody can, uh, can have that, but, uh, yeah, online resources have been, have been great. What's, uh, what's your, your fall looking like your late summer, what's your hunting schedule? Um, boy, it's getting exciting now. So, um, yeah, we're just getting into it. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've got a, a goat hunt to start the season up in BC that I'm super excited about. There's a buddy of mine that, um, guides for an outfitter and able to work out a deal with that outfitter to be able to get a tag. So I pretty much get to go with my buddy. That is my guide. He will have a goat tag and I will have a goat tag and we get to go disappear into this, uh, rugged mountain range of BC and go hunt goats with their bow. So that'll, kick off the season i've got two early season mule deer hunts and these early season mule deer hunts they live in super extreme terrain in the high country and and really the most extreme terrain in the lower 48 like they live where you know goats and sheep live in the rock shoots and uh, uh, 
of bold basins and real steep, rugged terrain above 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 feet. So I've got two of those early season hunts. I've got one in Nevada, one in Utah. So those will back to back. And then I go into elk season here in Montana. I'll spend a month hunting elk with my bow. Uh, we'll be hunting them in the mountains and uh, be hunting around my home ranges here this season. Uh, so we'll hunt elk and really put focus on them throughout uh, September in the early October. And then I'll go into uh, some pre-rut hunting for mule deer, probably hunt my tag in Montana. And then, um, yeah, I've got I've got a couple late season tags that are rut hunts for mule deer as well. Uh, be hunting uh, Idaho, South Dakota for that. And then, um, yeah, that'll pretty much bring me into December and then might fit in like a, a late season down in Arizona, like in January or so. So uh, plenty of tags, plenty of adventures, yeah. plenty of hunts. I also got to fit in a Montana antelope in there somewhere. And um, yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> so you're all gas for about four and a half, uh, five months. Is there ever a point during all that when you're changing species and changing states where you just need to take a second to think, okay, I need to take a breath here. I need to recalibrate a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I need a reset after those really big, tough hunts and hunting them back to back to back like that. Um, yeah, it's um, uh, difficult. I'd say like the most difficult part is trying to manage the rest of my life with hunting season. Mm. It isn't really the hunts that um, get me stressed out or that I need a break from. Like it's my season to, to absolutely go chase my dreams and what I work so hard for all year long. But I would say the difficult part comes like trying to manage my construction company, trying to manage time with my family, with my daughters, with my wife. So, so really trying to have that balance. And as I get into hunting season, it gets a bit out of balance where I'm putting so much effort and energy into these hunts. Uh, so I, w I would say that's like the toughest part of it is just trying to manage everything else inside a hunting season. But um, no, man, I love these adventures with every fiber in my being. And so, uh, like when I'm on these hunts, I feel like where I'm supposed to be and I'm really challenging myself physically and mentally, and it's what I've worked so hard for. And so, um, yeah, I schedule myself pretty tight, but I never really need a break from the hunt so much as I just need to handle my everyday life and mow my lawn and, you know, take care <laughs> of some, some stuff around the house, you know, but, uh, other than that, pretty full steam, I don't really get burned out of hunting. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that with uh, other things going on? Is it a matter of, of efficiency, organization, or what would be the thing that, or discipline? What would you recommend to someone who's maybe having a difficult time balancing their passion with their other life responsibilities? I'd say it's all of the above. And it's, um, it's like anything in life, like the longer you do it, the better you get out of it. Uh, get at it. And so, um, yeah, it is a really tough balance. But what I try to do is, you know, how I do one thing is how I do everything. So I'm a successful bow hunter, but like I also put so much energy into my construction company, my business, into my family life, my wife, my daughters. And so a lot of it, a lot of it is preemptive. So, you know, we're in summer right now. I'm spending a lot of time with my family. I'm still getting in my runs and my training, uh, but I'm able to hang out and spend quality time with them. And then, you know, I'm able to have these discussions with my wife and she knows how passionate I am uh, about hunting. And so, you know, we plan vacations for in between hunts or in my off season, uh, spend time now. And, and then, 
you know, we just have these honest conversations when I'm going to be gone and what I'm going to be doing. Uh, and, and then, you know, as far as work, like I, I let my clients know I'm not hiding anything. Like I tell them that I am leaving on these hunts. I will be gone in the fall. So we need to take care of things now. We need to get everything ordered for your project. I will have a project manager. Things will continue to move along on your project. This is who you'll call if you need something. And I will be back periodically. And when I am back, I try to just get on my emails, handle them and fire back. I try to handle things as I can. And so uh, it, it is a lot, but um, I just try to manage it to the best of my abilities and put forth as much effort as I can. And so, you know, right now, you know, it's it's working early mornings. It's working late nights. It's uh, getting ahead on these podcasts, making sure that I've got content to put out. And then when I am back or I do have a break in between hunts, it, it isn't really sitting on the couch or relaxing or something like that. It's still full tilt where I get back and I have a list of things that I need to take care of and phone calls I need to make before I leave on the next one. So uh, it's it's really just trying to manage my life to the best of my abilities. And it gets busy and um, uh, does get a bit stressful during season. But you know, I, I train myself for, for difficult situations and difficult times. And that applies to hunting the backcountry or extreme terrain. It also applies to being able to manage, uh, my life during, uh, these busy times where I'm gone so much. And so, uh, I just try to embrace it and try to do the best to my, best of my abilities to try to keep up with it and take care of things, but it's not easy. And it's, um, one of those things that I do more and more every year. So it's a bit of like moving the goal line every year. Like my goal is to bow hunt as much as, as possible or as much as I can. And so I've really structured my life that way. So this isn't just one season where I'm gone a hundred days hunting, you know, this has been a progression and an evolution of being able to handle things. So I can draw upon that. I've been doing it for the last 20 years. And so, you know, I've gone through a lot of ups and downs and you learn from those and get better. And so, you know, now the, the person that sits in front of you, you know, I've dealt with a lot of these issues and been through a lot of hunting seasons. And so yeah, I kind of know what's coming and can, foresee issues that are coming up and make sure that I'm taking care of them. But yeah, it's, it's not, um, it's not like super easy or something that I always have <laughs> dialed again. It's like an evolution or a progression. Yeah. That's one of the things I tried as a basketball coach when I coached to impress upon the athletes and then impress upon the students too, that you have so much more juice than you think. It's just a matter of challenging yourself. You, sometimes kids get so afraid of burnout that they end up underachieving. Well, you know, push yourself, see what you're capable of. And a lot of times you'll find that you're capable of a lot more than you thought. Um, and then other kids, you know, might be a close to redlining. You say, Hey, it just, just relax a little bit. You know, you could do this, but, uh, let's not stress out too much, but yeah, it's an important thing to, to figure out. Otherwise you're going to have a kind of an underwhelming adult life. And that's, that's what no one wants. Yeah. I'm willing to really achieve uh, the most or, or be at your best like even those basketball players like uh, you can decide who you want to be in your own mind like it all starts and ends with your mind and so just making the decision uh, that you're going to be disciplined that you're going to put in the work and it isn't just putting in the work at basketball practice it's also being in the weight room it's also like working on your cardio it's working on your jump shot it's uh, making sure that you're not missing layups it's putting in this work uh in excess of the practice in excess of the school and if you really set your mind to it or you really want to be good at something you can achieve whatever you want it's just setting your mind to it so those basketball players for instance 
like who knows what they're given genetically it's like but then you're you're given what you're given and then it's the work that you put in and so if you really want to be good at basketball it's working on your dribbling and your ball handling when you're not at practice you know in the off season it's working in the weight room it's getting in your runs it's you know it's doing all those little things and that that effort will will separate you from the rest from the competition and um really then the sky's the limit so i try to treat everything like that it's just like my mindset approaching things and and i think everybody can take a page out of that book and really apply themselves to the fullest of what they what they're passionate about and um and, and do whatever they want to achieve in life well, that's a that's a great closer couldn't have asked for a best lobbed that one up for you so uh where can people find you where can they listen where can they uh follow your journey yeah yeah the um i post things uh i i do instagram for social media um so brian underscore barney uh, i've got the two podcasts that you mentioned the eastman's elevated that releases every week and then the eastman's bow hunting journal that releases every two weeks that i do with dan bacar so those are the best places to find me there's some youtube videos out there if you search eastman's hunting tv uh be some bow hunts that come up there that you can watch and um yeah that's about it cool thanks again uh, for your time really appreciate it and uh, good luck this year yeah thank you i appreciate it